right, sounds good. <laughs> Pretty sure that'll make it into the podcast. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It still doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> So anyway, um, all right, so a couple things before we begin. I just wanted to mention that um, next uh, Tuesday is going to be our Thanksgiving service, so that means that next Wednesday we're not going to be meeting. Um, so if you have opportunity to invite some people to the Thanksgiving service next Tuesday, it would be a great opportunity. There's going to be some people giving testimonies and stuff. It'll be really, really good. Um, not sure if we're going to incorporate some of our missionaries or not, so we're going to be working out some of those details, but uh, I wanted to make sure you guys knew about that. All right, so um, as we're continuing with our study, we are hitting the tail end of how to study the Bible, so we're going to be talking about a very important uh, rule of Bible study tonight that uh, really, to me, it's one of these things that I've, I, as I've gone through this and I've worked through this several times, I've really thought that uh, maybe this should be one that's put more towards the front um, because it's so important, it's so critical, it really could change everything that you learn as far as how to study the Bible, but having it on the back end makes complete sense. So we'll work through that tonight, and I think you'll understand that. But we're going to be talking about the attitude factor, number 11. So out of the 15 rules of Bible study, we are on number 11, and we're going to be talking about the attitude factor, the attitude rule of Bible study. And so as you guys can see, this one means to be always willing to change your beliefs when you discover that they are contrary to the Bible. And of course, our three verses for that one are James 1.22, John 13, 17, and Job 42, 5. Give me three readers for those verses. Who wants the first one? Okay, one. Who wants the second one? Two. Who wants the third one? Three. All right. Go ahead and read those verses. James 1, 22. Do you want me to read through 25 or just 22? Yeah, do through 25. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth, there, and continueth therein, he be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Okay, so what do you notice about those verses? What can you learn from those verses? You need to be doers of the word. Yes, you need to actually do it, not just hear it. Hear it. There's a lot of people that go to church, and they hear the Bible, and they don't do anything about it. It doesn't change or affect their lives whatsoever. That is not what God intended. He didn't give you a book. He didn't give you a spirit. He didn't give you himself and then expect you to go, oh, that's nice information. Like, that's not how this works out. When someone gives you information that should change your life, it should actually change your life. And so if we're going to glorify God, our life must be changed. And so God's given us his word. So I like that. And then he gives a great illustration. Um, if you are a hearer of the word and not a doer, it's like when you look at yourself in the mirror and then you walk away and you forget what you even look like. And it's the same thing. And so verse 25, it ends, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the Bible, and continueth therein, means you don't stop, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You know, maybe there are things in your life that the reason why God is not blessing you is because you're not being obedient to what he said. Maybe things are not necessarily going the way that you thought they would or that you're getting the clarity that you need from the Lord because you're actually not being obedient to what he's already taught you. And this is a very simple concept. Why would God entrust more to you if you can't handle what he's already given you? If you're not going to be faithful with what he gave you, why would he give you more? It's the same thing with my kids. They want freedoms to be able to do this and that and the other. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't really trust you with it. I mean, the latest thing has been they want knives. 
<laughs> so, so I'm like, hmm, all right. So we were on vacation, and I remember that we went fishing, and so they sold these little knives at the pier, and they're, you know, used to cut shrimp and stuff, cut bait. And, uh, and so Lucas and Lily, they wanted one, so I'm like, all right. So I've, so far, I've not let them have it because they've not proven themselves trust with other things. But, okay, you know what? This will be a nice souvenir. They can have it. They can use it. And so on the way home, not even 10 minutes down the road, what do you think happens? Lucas decides to play with it, and he cuts his hand open to the point where, like, it's bleeding pretty good. I mean, we're going home from vacation. So we had to make a pit stop at a Walmart in order to buy, like, all the stuff in order to glue the, clean the wound, glue the wound back together. And we're in the middle of the car. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you got to be kidding me. And so what did I do? I took the knife away. And so it's the same thing with the Lord on a spiritual front. If he gives you something and then you prove untrustworthy with it, then why would God take another risk or a bigger risk and give you more? So it's always in the little things. If you can't be proven faithful in the little things, God is not going to give you more and more and more things. So you need to think about that. Sometimes we feel like God isn't listening to us. When he is, it's just we're not being faithful with what he gave us. So that's important. All right, next one. John 13, 17. Okay, so based on what Jesus said, what is happiness contingent upon? Obedience. Obedience. Everyone's looking for the key to happiness. Guess what? You found it. It's in the Bible. <laughs> happy are you if you do them. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You will have a, a much more joyful, happy life if you know what God has told you and then you're just obedient to it. And then Job 42.5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes... There comes a point in your Christian walk where you've not just heard about God, but you actually know who He is. Have you ever been in a situation maybe with people where you hear their testimony, whether it's their salvation testimony or something that God has done with them, or maybe they're getting baptized or something like that, and you're like, wow, that's amazing that God would work so mightily in someone's life. That's amazing. Have you ever thought, man, I want God to do that in my life? Well, I mean, think about it for a second. He can, and He wants to. But when you look at something like this, Job had to go through a very difficult circumstance. And now he's heard of God. And he even had a relationship with God prior to this verse. He heard of God. He knew about God. He loved God. He worshiped God. He obeyed God even. But something happened in his life that drove him to his knees. It broke him completely. And now he comes to a better understanding of, you know what? I thought I knew who you were. I didn't know anything. And so it all comes back down to your attitude. So being a doer of the word of God... Looking in the mirror and remembering what you look like. Being blessed in, your, in his deed because you're doing what God told you. Being happy because you know what you're supposed to do, what God has told you to do, and you just do it. And learning more about God, who he actually is, not just who you think he is, all depends on your attitude. Everything. What you get out of the Bible, maybe some of you struggle with getting in the Bible and actually opening it up or learning something. Chances are, you're not getting anything because of your attitude. When people come on a Sunday morning and listen to Pastor Tom, or they come in here on a Wednesday night, and they hear it, and they're like, yeah, I'm not getting anything about it. It's your attitude. Because you always can glean something. I don't care how many times you've heard a message. I don't care how many times you've read a book in the Bible, or you've read a certain verse or a passage. If you have a good, hard attitude, God will show you amazing things if you're willing to see it. It all goes back down to your attitude. All right, so let's talk about some important concepts. All right. So these verses are very important. So we're going to hit these ones, one after the other, and then uh, we're going to hit these, uh, the last part. We'll see if we have enough time to go into 2 Kings 22 and 23. So let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. 
So John chapter 3, verse 1. John chapter 3. All right. So when it comes to your attitude, the first thing that we're going to see here is that religion can blind us to what we should believe. Religion can blind us to what we should believe. So that's your blank, religion. So here you have a guy named Nicodemus. And we see from verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he was a religious man. He was a part of the religious Pharisees. And so they believed everything the Old Testament taught, and they adhered to it strictly. They were Orthodox Jews. And he was a ruler, which means that he not only was a participant, but he was a leader. So he knew his stuff. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do, do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this is obviously his question. It's not what he asked in verse 2. He didn't even ask a question at all. But Jesus now answers this question that he has inside of his heart. So except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now this wasn't a sarcastic question. I think he was legitimate. Because when Jesus said you must be born again, the next logical conclusion for Nicodemus was, How can I? I mean, I'm born once into this world, so you're telling me that I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? That doesn't make any sense. And so then, verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, that's the natural birth, and of the spirit, that's the spiritual birth, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, of the water, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, being born of the spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. And look what Nicodemus said in verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? So he doesn't understand. His current belief system is not compatible with what Jesus is teaching. And then Jesus answers in verse 10 and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? I mean, how embarrassing that would have been for Jesus to confront Nicodemus and say, Okay, you're a master, you're a teacher, you know the Bible, and you don't know about this? Like, this is brand new information to you? Have you not read in the Old Testament, and I'm just thinking of different passages. I mean, I'm going right now through, I finished Jeremiah, I'm going through Ezekiel right now. And there's different things in Ezekiel where God says that they are going to be, res- the nation of Israel is going to be resurrected from the dead. They're going to be given resurrected bodies, and God said, I'm going to give them a new heart. And in their heart, they're going to be able to be obedient to what God has commanded them to do. So God has to give them a brand new heart. So these concepts were there in the Old Testament, and Nicodemus just completely missed them. And then he continues and tells him more things. But the thing here is that Nicodemus is completely blinded by the truth or to the truth because of his current belief system. So there might be things, like if you feel like you're not getting any farther in your relationship with God, then there's something incompatible with your current belief system. And that may not make any sense to you because you may have been raised in a Christian home or that you've grown up in this church or that you've known about the Bible, but that is the truth. And I've had to come to grips with this too. Because the reality is, is that my behavior in my life is determined by my beliefs. The things that I do in my life is always because of my doctrine, my beliefs. So if I believe something to be true, it can only be validated by my behavior. 
For example, if I believe that lost people are going to hell, and then I have an opportunity with a lost person to invite them to church or to give them the gospel, and then I don't do it, I can reasonably ask myself, do I actually believe that? Does that make sense? Because if I believe this person, if they were to die tomorrow, and they would go headlong into hell in condemnation in their sin, and yet I believe that that were to be true, why wouldn't I do something about it? Now, maybe even in that scenario, I might have greater fear in my heart, and that stops me, but I'm believing more in my fear of wanting that person to like me than I am being concerned that they're going to go to hell. And that's just one example, and there's many. There's many things throughout our life that we could point to. But when your beliefs do not line up with your behavior, then they need that should, that should make you sit down and question your beliefs. Do you actually believe that to be true? And that's not to be critical, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You should be judgmental about yourself. Because how else are you going to know whether or not you're walking with God unless you're willing to judge yourself based on what the Bible says? I mean, Jesus believed people were going to hell. And he certainly did something about it, right? So his life is full of examples about how his beliefs backed up his behavior. So sometimes our religion, our current belief system, can blind us from having a good attitude in order to see the truth that God wants us to see. All right, go to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. The next one is tradition. Mark chapter 7. Tradition can blind us. It should be, or actually it was bind us. Tradition can bind us to unbiblical beliefs. So Mark chapter 7. So you have religion, and then you have tradition, and sometimes it's religious tradition, but in Mark chapter 7. All right. Sorry. It's okay. You should be. I'm just kidding. You're fine. That's all that matters. That's right. That's right. Class can begin now because Andy is here. I'm here. Can I start over? Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. We can go back and sing. Should we sing again? Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. So Mark chapter 7. All right. Mark 7. All right, verse 1. It says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees, again, there's the Pharisees, and certain of the scribes, which the scribes' job it was that they were basically professional Bible copiers. They were making sure that when Bibles were copied, that they were written down appropriately and correctly, as they were copied from one uh, copy to another, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with, undefi- with defiled, that is to say, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees... And all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. So it's very clear that this is not according to the Bible. This is not something that God instituted. This is something extra. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees had extra rules and traditions that they followed in order to make themselves appear more holy. So before they would eat, they would wash their hands and do all sorts of things like that. And it's clearly called the tradition of the elders. Verse 4. And when they come from the market, except they wash... They eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Esaias, or Isaiah, prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines, or biblical truth, the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, true doctrine, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, and here's the key, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. And then down to verse 13. 
making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Okay, Jesus is not concerned about your traditions or your religious traditions. And this can be hard for some of us. I know that uh, I did not grow up in a uh, legalistic Baptist church, but Baptists are are really known for being very legalistic in their thinking. But there were elements of legalism in my youth ministry. And I remember that there were times where my youth pastors would come down on us because of the movies that we watched and the music that we listened to and some of the other things that we would do. Now, I know that they had a, a good motive, or at least that, was, that would be my, my, uh, my take on it, being very gracious. I do believe they had our best interest at heart because those things, they weren't good. Okay, I'll just say that, all right? However... How you go about it is completely different. When someone comes down on somebody else and they begin to tell them that they are less of a Christian because of what they're watching and what they're doing, that is absolutely wrong. We do not do that. Now, there are some blatant behavior that is, I mean, come on. If you just use reason and logic, you'll come to the conclusion that what you're doing is stupid. So don't, don't go away thinking something else than what I've just said. But I will say that there are people that take these traditions that have been passed on from generation to generation, and they treat them as equivalent to what the Bible says. And that is wrong. That is wrong. These gray areas that exist within our society that God has not addressed, guess who addresses those things? How does that work out in real life? Where the Bible does not clearly tell you what you should or should not do in a certain scenario. How does it actually work out in real life? How do you know that what you're doing is biblical? Okay. Parents or church leaders. Okay. That could be one way to go. But parents could be wrong. And church leaders could be wrong. I mean, even some of the decisions we're making on COVID, we could be wrong. I don't think we are, but we could be. Your own conscience. Your own conscience. That's a good. Yep. Anybody want to build off of that? Yeah. Pray and ask God about it. Yes. That's what I would do. I mean, that's what you got to do. Okay, and so you're praying, and you're asking God about it, and then what? Okay, you'd be reading your Bible. There could be some things in the Bible that might make it clear. What else? Okay, wait for an answer, and how's it going to come about? Uno. Uno? Like playing Uno? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, flip a coin. <laughs> Roll some dice. Yeah. I'll gamble it. <laughs> yeah. I think this is an important question, because we need to be able to figure this stuff out. Holy Spirit? Yes. Okay. So how does that work out? How does the Holy Spirit tell you whether or not you should be doing something or not? Your conscience plays a big role in it. Praying and reading the Bible plays a big role in it. Your convictions. Each person has their own convictions. Okay. So for example, there are some people that think that it's completely fine to listen to a certain type of music. Okay, so in that scenario, you have one person that says this, but then you have other people that say that, okay? Now, the Bible does not go in and say, okay, anything that involves electric guitars and drums are off limits. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't actually say that. You'll vouch for that? I know, because you tried that. Yeah, anyway, all right. <laughs> so, anyway, but it doesn't say that. But yet, you can have someone that has deep-seated convictions where they feel like listening to that kind of music will violate their conscience and their walk with God, and their own conviction. Okay, in that scenario, that person should not listen to that type of music. And that's completely fine. That's completely fine. Whereas on the other side, someone's like, well, I don't really feel that way. I love the music. I love the way that it's arranged. I don't feel any conviction from the Spirit of God as if like it's 
somehow ruining my relationship with God, well, then that's completely fine. But here's the reality. The problem lies is that when people on both sides of the issue, someone that thinks that they have the liberty to listen to this type of music, or someone that thinks that it is absolutely godless to listen to this type of music, once they begin to take those convictions and opinions and begin to impose that upon everybody else and say, you are less of a Christian and you are ungodly, you don't believe the same things that I do when the Bible's not clear on it. That's where it becomes a tradition. And that tradition cannot override what the Word of God says. So I may have a conviction, but I should not at all, under any stretch of the imagination, impose that conviction, when it's not clearly outlined by the Bible, upon you and make that a new standard that you should follow. That is unbiblical. And that will only, I'll tell you, this is where it's going to go, it will lead to more ungodliness. It will. If I try to impose my personal convictions that the Bible does not specify upon you, it will actually create in you a spirit of rebellion that will make you disobey God even more. And now that's my fault. So it can have the complete opposite effect. So these traditions that these guys put into place is completely out of line. And Jesus called them out on it. He said, because you are willing to set aside the commandments of God that are clearly outlined in the scripture just because you want to obey your own tradition. And that can happen on many different things when it comes to how people do ministry, when it comes to music, when it comes to dress, when it comes to all sorts of stuff. So that's where a lot of those things come into play. All right, that's Mark. All right, John 11. We don't have time to get into the details of John 11 because I want to keep going. But I will just highlight one thing in here. John 11, this is with Lazarus. So Lazarus died, and you have Mary and Martha that go to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And so Jesus confronts them and challenges what they believe. And so God will challenge your beliefs. That's your blank here. And he challenges them through a very difficult circumstance. Do you actually believe that I am who I say that I am? Now, there are times in your life, some of you have gone through these moments already. Some of you have yet to get there. Where you are going to be put in a very difficult circumstance. That what you believe is going to be put out on the line. And based on your reaction to that particular circumstance, you will find out what you actually believe. Because God is challenging your beliefs in that current circumstance. And I will tell you, it is very revealing. A really good case in point with this is all the stuff that's going on right now with COVID. It is revealing many, many things, not only in our society, but also within our own church about where people are actually at in their relationship with God. And I know of a lot of different people that because of COVID, they are walking with God less and less and less and less and less. It's becoming more and more difficult for them to walk with God and to stay consistent. On the other side, I know some people that because of the challenge that has unfolded with COVID and their jobs and, and different things, even with school and stuff you guys are working through, that COVID has actually been a very huge blessing. And it's caused them to draw closer to God and to learn things they would have never learned otherwise. See, the problem is not the circumstance, it's your attitude. Your attitude determines everything. The same circumstance which one person uses to blame God and other people for their lack of obedience and their unfaithfulness is the same circumstance that someone can point to and say, God blessed me through that. And I learned so many different things. And God is a master of this. He does this all the time. And it really reveals a lot of the things in our heart. And it shows us our attitude. So that's John 11. In Mark 10, this is the rich young ruler. And uh, let's go ahead and turn there. Go to, go to Mark 10. Since we're already kind of there anyway. Mark chapter 10. A couple pages over. Verse 17. 
And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And then Jesus continues from there. But this guy came to him, and he says, I want to know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? So he knew he was missing something. He said he obeyed all these commandments that the Bible outlined, but he knew he was missing something. And so he basically lays it out there, and he says, you're missing one thing. And of course, Jesus knew exactly what that was. But then the young man made a decision. What did he choose to do? Not to believe. Exactly. So sometimes we choose not to believe. And again, it comes back to our attitude. Sometimes we choose not to believe. And honestly, in that scenario, there's nothing we can do about it. If you're going to go away sad because you don't want to obey, then that's really on you. I don't want it to be that way. There's a lot of people that end up doing that, but it's based on their, their attitude. But I've also known a lot of people that have walked away being sad because they're not willing to be obedient. And just through the process of time, God has used their decision, because at least this guy's honest. I will say that. He didn't fake it. He actually made a decision and he walked away. Then God can even use that in order to bring this guy back. And we don't know the end of the story. Maybe this guy did come back. Maybe he did repent. Maybe he was one of the thousands that when Peter was preaching about crucifying the Messiah in Acts chapter 2, that he actually repented and got saved. We don't know. We don't know. But at least at this point in time, he had a bad attitude and he walked away. He chose not to believe. And then go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Very last part of this chapter. Luke 6, verse 46 through 49. And this one's going to teach us that what we believe determines the foundation of our life. And I've already talked about this a little bit. Your behavior always reveals your beliefs. So what we believe determines the foundation of our life. So in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, one of the most convicting verses in the Gospels. Jesus says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You can't call God your Lord if you're not willing to be obedient. Verse 47, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, so you hear them and then you obey, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So you're always in one of two camps. Jesus is always going to be speaking. In both scenarios, Jesus is speaking. His words went forth. But the two reactions are what? You hear it and then you do it. Or you hear it and then you don't do it. And he gives you exactly what's going to unfold for each of those scenarios. If you hear the words of God and you do them, then your house is going to be stable and secure and it's going to be able to withstand anything that comes against it. If you hear him and you don't do it, you choose not to believe, which is one of my greatest fears for you guys. 
It's one of my greatest fears. Is for you guys to take it, take take for granted what we have here at this church, the things that you've even grown up with and the things that you're taught here. You hear the word of God and you choose not to do it. Then when the storms of life come, it is going to wreck your house, it is going to wreck your life, and it says the ruin thereof is going to be great. Because you heard it. He told you what to do and you just chose not to do it. God has greater mercy and compassion for people that don't hear it than those that do hear it and then walk away. It's very difficult. And I know for me, that amps up the accountability in my own life. Because not only have I heard from God and I hear from Him daily, but I've heard from Him for years, even growing up with the preaching that my dad preached at the church I grew up at, hearing the Bible preaching as a, as a young kid your age in youth ministry. And not only do I hear it today, but now I'm also a teacher of it. So I know that if I go astray, my goodness, I have no excuse, and the ruin of my life is going to be great. So just keep those things in mind. All right, so we don't have time to hit everything else in the remainder of this, so we're going to talk about these verses at the end. But what I would like you to do at some point, if you don't have anywhere to read, 2 Kings 22 and 23 is a fantastic couple chapters. It's King Josiah. So King Josiah was the youngest king that the nation of Israel had. And it was at a time in which the temple um, was really torn down, and they even lost the copy of the Bible. So he didn't have the Bible at the time. And so he made it a decision uh, that he wanted the temple to be cleaned up. And so he got some money together, and he went ahead and he went ahead and, and started to restore the temple. And while they were restoring the temple, they found a copy of the Bible. And as they began to read the Bible, it was like, oh my word, we need to read this in the ears of the king. So the king heard it, and immediately he was broken. Because he realized we've not been obedient to anything that God's book says. And so then there, he prays to God, and, and God actually shows him great favor and um, tells him that God's wrath is not going to be poured upon, poured upon them because of his heart attitude. But then 23 talks about all the things that he did as a result. And what I love about that story is that I think sometimes we want to get right with God because we want to avoid the consequence of our disobedience, which is not right, and that can even be challenged. But... We want to obey God because we want to avoid the consequence of our poor decisions. But what Josiah did is that he actually had a good heart attitude. He did what was right because he wanted to do what was right. God said, okay, I'm not going to pour out my wrath upon you in the kingdom. And Josiah could have just stopped there because he satisfied God and said, Whew, all right, good. All right, call it off. We don't need to obey anymore. Everything's good. God's wrath is not being poured out on us. No, that's not what he did. In chapter 23, he went even farther. God's grace and his mercy upon his life and basically, you know, withholding God's wrath upon them, it caused him to obey and to be even more passionate. And the things that he did to restore the nation of Israel was astounding. There was no other king like him. So it's really neat. He could have used it as an excuse just to stop and to settle, but he didn't. He didn't take God's grace in vain. He actually used it to fuel his passion to be even more obedient. So I like that about him. So that's a really good example of the, of the attitude factor that's found in the scriptures. Okay, so, if we're going to be obedient when it comes to this attitude factor of Bible study, then that means that we need to look at these verses, and we need to decide something. We need to decide, first of all, what is God saying? And then secondly, are my beliefs contrary to God? And if they are, I need to change it. Because whatever the Bible says, if you have a good attitude, you just believe what it says. You just believe what it says because it's God's word. End of story. I may not be able to articulate it, or explain it very well, but that's what it says, and that's what I believe. And that's where you got to stand, on one side or the other. All right, so let's take a look at some verses. 
and we're going to read them, and I want you to tell me, what does it teach? And really, that can even be challenging, especially in our day and age, as far as are we going to be obedient to it. All right, so the first one, Acts 17, 24, and 25. Someone read it. Whoever wants it. Cards back. God, God that made the world and all things, all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord, he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Okay, so what does that verse teach? Keep it simple. Oh, I wasn't going to go there. Oh, I, I thought it was uh, talking to himself again. <laughs> what does that verse teach? Things that we make don't necessarily glorify God, or God isn't glorified necessarily by materialism. Okay, let's go even more simple than that. God don't accept us. God doesn't accept us? No. Okay, so yeah, he's not worshipped by things with men's hands, but verse 24, focus on verse 24, because you got, you got to get verse 24 down before you get to 25. God made everything. Yes, God made everything. Is that what you're going to say? I was going to say that he didn't dwell in temples. Okay, good. So God made everything. He doesn't dwell in temples, and he's not worshipped by anything that we make. Okay, so God is the creator. He created the world. He created everything in the world, and since he's the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't dwell in temples. He doesn't dwell in things made with hands. So what would that include? Idols. idols. Yep, idols, icons, pictures, um, church buildings. Like, is God here? No. He's not physically here. He's everywhere. Yes, God is everywhere. Yes, God is here for sure. But is he here because of the building? No, not at all. Not at all. Okay, so that goes contrary to many, many things in our world today. First of all, God created everything. Is that popular today? No. Absolutely not. But are you going to believe what the Bible says? Yeah. See, that's the challenge. Against the things that you're taught, are you going to believe what the Bible says? Okay, so the Bible also teaches, according to this verse, that God is not in the things that we make. And so just because you make a picture or you have this little statue and you pray to it does not mean you're closer to God, right? But that goes against a lot of things that are popular with people that call themselves Christians today. So what are you going to believe? So this is where it starts to really challenge what we believe. Let's look at another example. Leviticus 18.22. This one's fun. Someone read that one. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Okay. You don't get it? All right, let's do another one. Maybe we'll get this one. Jay's <laughs> bad. Someone read that one. <laughs> if a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Okay, so what do those two verses teach? Don't lie. Don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, not exactly. That's not, not exactly. Finish the sentence. Don't lie. <laughs> You're another nigga. Oh, that's what it's Oh, <laughs> like Biblical sex ed class. All right, ready? All right. I'm, I'm good. It's on tape. Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. That's all right. The world's going to hear it. Okay, so what, is, what do these two verses teach, according to Leviticus, according to the Old Testament law? Okay. Homosexuality is a abomination. It's a sin. Okay? Now, a lot of people say, well, that's the Old Testament. So if you're going to obey that, are you going to wear clothes that have been... 
they're woven together from from two different sources, like cotton and nylon. Are you going to do that? Yeah. All right, all right, all right whatever. Oh, are you going to start sacrificing lambs and stuff? Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Okay, so those, that's Leviticus, but then read this. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Jesus said this. He said, And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. What do these verses teach about relationships? There should be a guy and a girl. Yes, a male and a female. Not a male and a male, not a female and a female. Also, and this has come up more recently, look at this. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them, made them, made them male and female? So what does this teach? God created Genders. There's only two genders. Okay? So this is very unpopular today. Very unpopular today. We live in a world where Christians, like crazy, are saying that homosexuality is okay, and that there is a gender fluidity that exists, that people can choose whatever gender they want, and it's not based upon their biological makeup. So are we going to believe what the Bible says? Or are we going to go with what everybody else says? See, we're living in a day where increasingly more and more it's harder and harder, or, based on your attitude, easier and easier to be a Christian. Easier and easier or harder and harder. What is your authority? Okay? it's another one. All right, 1 Corinthians 6, 13 and 18. Someone read that one. Meat for the belly and belly for the meat, but God shall destroy both of them, both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Flee fornication, every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Okay, what do those verses teach? It means you take away something when you... No, that is not what those verses teach. But those are, those are, <laughs> hey, you should participate in class, it's okay. It's alright. wrong if you do it before marriage. Okay, it doesn't say anything about marriage in there. Nope. Which, I mean, okay, that could be another lesson, but I'm, I'm sticking to these two verses in particular. Remember, keep it simple. What does it say? Because whatever it says, that's what we believe. Don't eat meat. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a whore and leave your party. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. No, not exactly. All right. That's what it said. It says uh, now in the body, for, for the for the body's not fornication, but for what that's what I got. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get. I know. I know you. I know what you said and why you said it. However, <laughs> however. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is what I get for opening it up and asking questions. Okay. It says now the body is not for. Fornication. Okay, so any sexual pleasure outside of the bond and covenant of marriage, the body is not for fornication. In our society today, that is not what you're taught. That is not what you're told. And so here it says your body is not, it is not for fornication. It's not fornication, but what is it for? The Lord. The Lord. And the Lord for the body. See, this is an issue that our society has, and that we can struggle with being raised in this kind of a society, your body is taught to be for your own pleasure, for whatever you want to do, to make yourself feel good. 
But the reality is that your body was not made for that. It was made for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So there's a complementary thing here that God really reveals if you're willing to see it, that he made your body in such a way that he is uniquely glorified in your body when you choose to submit to him. That God cannot be glorified in any other way outside of you submitting to his will. There's a unique element of God being glorified that can only happen in your body as you obey him. That's amazing. That's something to chew on. It is not for fornication. And so as a result, he says, flee fornication. And when you choose to fornicate, you're sinning against your own body, the vehicle through which God can actually be glorified in a very unique and special way. So are we going to believe that? It all comes back down to your attitude. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 6. I'll read this one because we're running out of time. 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So, being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, this could be dating relationships, but it can even be more than that. It can even be your friendships. It can even be any sort of a, an agreement where you feel like you are united with someone who's lost and you claim to be saved. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Absolutely none. They're polar opposites. What communion hath light with darkness? None. I mean, you can't have light and darkness exist in the same room. It's just not possible. The only way you can make it possible is if you create a barrier in the room and then you shut the lights off on a certain part of the room. But it takes a lot of work and effort just like a lot of Christians that like to have darkness in their life when God's there. It takes a lot of work and effort to sin. So these things, if you're willing to believe it, you are not to be in relationships or friendships with people that are going to increase ungodliness in your life. It's not going to work. So these are things you're willing to believe it. All right, then last one. Actually, I think this might be the second last one. He that walketh wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. What do you learn from that one? Have good friends. Have good friends. Your friendships mean a lot. If you choose the wrong friends, it is going to lead you down a road that is not good. And then I love these last couple ones. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And with all that getting, get understanding. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. So what is the number one thing that should be the pursuit of your life? Wisdom. wisdom. And what kind of wisdom? Godly wisdom. Godly wisdom. So when you look at this, God's wisdom is to be the number one passion and pursuit of your life. We can see that. We can understand it. But do we believe it? Because if we believe it, it will show up where? In your life. Through your heart. And, your <laughs> and the decisions you make. <laughs> Thank you for making class very interesting. Okay. You're like almost paying attention. So, here's what we're talking about. Because here's, here's the thing that I fear. We know the right answers, but do we actually do them? We know what to do, but do we actually do it? And again, it comes back down to your attitude. Now, if you want to choose to have a bad attitude, that's your choice. You can do that. But just know the risk that it comes with. And the ruin thereof is going to be great. So it comes back down to your attitude. 
And I think for a lot of you, the reason why you're not getting anything out of the Bible is because of your attitude. Because that's what it is for me. Whenever I'm not getting anything or I'm not, or I'm hitting a dry spell in my walk with God, it's because of my attitude. So beware of that. All right, sweet. Good, we're done. All right, so we're going to continue this. We only have a few more weeks to go on this, but again, next Wednesday, we're not going to be meeting. We've got Thanksgiving service on Tuesday, and so we'll get back together the following week. All right, let's pray, and we will be done. We'll go in and pray together. Father, thank you so much for our time. Thank you for your word. I do pray that we would heed the things that we learned tonight, and that you would be glorified um, in our life because we believe what you say. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.